Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. I just got home from seeing a play called Sunday at the Atlantic Theater Company in New York City. And I have to say, I cannot stop thinking about this play. It is written by the Tony Award-winning writer Jack Thorne. He wrote Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It's directed and choreographed by Obie Award-winning director Lee Sunday Evans, who did Dance Nation, also incredible. And this play is about a group of young 20-somethings who are just starting their lives, uh, their professional lives, their adult lives. And it is so spot on. It is at times hilarious, at times devastating, always provocative. The centerpiece of the play is a book club that these young people are in. Uh, They've gathered for a book group, um, and they're all sort of anxious to prove their intellectual worth, but the anxiety gets the better of them, and any actual discussion that they plan to have about the book gets turned into this um, really intense, fascinating conversation where so many emotional truths come pouring out. It's... um, it's a really unique play. It is ethereal and and sort of magic realism. Uh, if you saw Dance Nation, you know Lee Sunday Evans works with this incredible physical movement and choreography that she weaves into the production in the most fascinating way. And I read an article in the New York Times about the writer, Jack Thorne, and he said that at its core, this plays about a group of young people looking at a future which they don't quite understand anymore, morally, sexually, or professionally. And it really is just that. It it reminded me, because of how crystal clear he has kind of etched out these individuals, these characters that fill the landscape of this play that just felt so real to me. And reminded me so strongly of what it was at that time in my life to come to New York and and just be starting out in in my adult life and figuring out who I am. And and then there's another question at the center of the play, which is, is there a moment in our lives that really truly defines us forever? And and what is that? And anyway, I really loved this play and you should go see it. It's called Sunday. And if you go to atlantictheater.org, you'll click on the ticket link. Um, It's a limited run. So hurry before they are all sold out. Atlantictheater.org. You know how much I love the Atlantic Theater Company. I am always blown away by all of the work that they do there. It is so now 
they just find ways to bring these unbelievable theater artists to the forefront of the American theater. And once again, um, I left this theater just so full from the experience. So thank you, Atlantic Theater Company. Go see the play Sunday. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com, get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. There was a new show on the air called American Idol, and like a lot of people, I became obsessed watching week to week. And it was the first time we saw what these young people were going through in terms of the tension of the competition and also blown away weekly by the unbelievable talent. And one of the most memorable people, the first runner-up from the very first American Idol was this beautiful, beautiful young man. I think he was only 20 at the time, named Justin Guarini. So if you had told me then that years later, this man would become a friend of mine, uh, obviously I've seen him on Broadway and he's just a gorgeous performer and has been able to take that global fame that came with American Idol and his Dr. Pepper commercials and lots of other things that brought him onto the televisions in many households globally. Uh, his Broadway performances are staggering as well. But Justin and I met more recently in the podcast community. He has a podcast called Audition Secrets, and 
I think his book that he's written is also called Audition Secrets, where he just shares uh, so much of his knowledge as well as other people's experiences with a hope that it will help demystify the audition process. Um, So Justin asked me to come on his show, and I just had the greatest time talking to him and really wanted to introduce you guys to him if you don't already know him. So here is my conversation with the beautiful human that is Justin Guarini. Enjoy. A-OK. A-OK. Okay, so what made you decide to start the pod in 2016? A friend of mine uh, who I've worked with in all sorts of ways. He's actually a film director, and I've been in a couple of his films had a friend who was starting a company where they were producing podcasts. And he's like, this is, I don't know. I just think you'd be great at it. Is it something you'd want to try? And I really thought about it um, because my instinct is always to wait until I feel like I have all the pieces to the puzzle before jumping in. Um, And I thought, you know, there is something about how I approach a character as an actress, which is very much the kind of research I would do in approaching an interview. Um, And then I thought about like, in the world of writing, they say, write what you know. Mm -hmm. And then I use that same theme. And I thought, well, who do I know? And who do I know that would be interesting to people other than me? And I thought, my entire community of friends. Absolutely. So that's how it began. And then Slattery, Cynthia was in the first TV show I ever did. Slattery, you know, and I met when we first started doing plays on Broadway. I actually introduced him to his wife, Talia Balsam, and that's worked out. Um, <laughs> that's good. B. That's <laughs> always a challenge. Exactly. That's why he still came on the show. B.D. Uh, <laughs> Wong was my lioness to my Lucy and Charlie Brown. So really, I have had the privilege of being in dressing rooms with all these people and getting them and knowing them in a really intimate way. And I thought when I started out, I wished I had access to the kinds of real stories, to what it really is to pursue a life in the arts, not the kind of airbrushed PR version of it. And that even with all that, it's still worth it. And that's how it came together. That's how the idea of what the show would be, you know, kind of came together. It took a while for me to feel confident in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been like 160 episodes later and I, I feel like I'm getting the hang of it. What do you think are some of the things that people who are thinking, okay, I'm, I'm considering starting my own podcast. What are the pitfalls that they should avoid that you fell into? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I think that for me, the biggest challenge is that I wasn't a technology person, that the thing I knew I could do was talk to someone and uh, dive deep into their lives and and sort of what their story was. But there's all the other stuff that goes around, you know, the, the making of the podcast. And that was really intimidating for me. Um, and I would say in terms of the things that you don't do well automatically, uh, just ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, It's a good life lesson for me in general, but specifically around that. Um, The other thing I would say is make sure that you are being authentic in terms of the topic you choose to podcast about, that you're not trying to find a niche or some idea of what you think will be popular 
but really that whatever story you want to tell or whatever it is that you're interested in, the end result is impossible to know. Like everything else, it'll either hit or won't hit, or you'll continue doing it or you won't, or a million things can happen. But if it comes from the heart and your authentic self, then no matter what happens in the end, you've made something that you're proud of and with integrity and that you're proud of sharing and it lives forever. So whether or not someone finds it immediately or it takes longer, it's kind of a slow burn in terms of um, it making its way into people's uh, you know, daily listening realities, that it really has to be authentic. And practice, it's like anything else. If you're asking someone to listen or be an audience to what you're doing, make sure that it's ready. Even in the three years since I started, I cannot believe how many more podcasts there are. So it's a very vibrant, full community right now. Um, so just make sure it's it's about what you love. What I want to know from you is what's your origin story? What was the moment where you said, I want to be an actor, or you fell in love with performance, or some something hit you that directed your life uh, in, into this business? You know, most things in my life uh, that have been long lasting um, really began with um, what I thought was love, whether it turned into long-term love or a momentary crush. Mm -hmm. The feeling is just as real and big. Um, and when I was 18 years old, I was not a child actress. I was someone who had the great fortune of living close to New York City. And I was a, a child of a woman who loved Broadway mm. so much. And so my mom brought us to see Broadway shows all the time. And it was really any excuse to celebrate with a Broadway show we used. It could have been like, you lost your tooth. You got a good report card. Your birthday, like really anything. Yeah. Um, and so very early on, I was turned on to the magic and beauty and transformative world that is the Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. That was her love. Later on, you know, I started to see more plays, but I certainly was raised on seeing musicals. Do you and remember what your first musical was? Annie. Annie was my first uh, musical. Of course. Um, and, you know, to see like kids my age on stage, it was sort of mind-blowing, sure. the whole thing. I had never even considered the possibility um, that that my peers would be doing something like that. But yeah, and I sang it, you know, I had the record and, you know, still have it and gave sure. it to my daughter um, who, who went to see the more recent revival of it. And it's very exciting when you come full circle with your kids um, around something that meant so much to you yeah. as a kid. But all that being said, um, I wasn't an actress. It wasn't something I did. It was just something I loved and appreciated deeply. Um, when I was just starting in between high school and college, I literally was getting a haircut in my town of Teaneck, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And at the station of this beautiful guy who was cutting my hair, uh, there was a Samuel French edition of a play. And until that time, I had seen plays and like collected works and mm -hmm. anthologies that we studied in high school, yeah. but I'd never seen like a Samuel French play where it's just one play. And I asked him what it was and he told me he was taking an acting class in New York City. And I think to be honest, I was being flirty and I picked up the play and just started reading it out loud. Uh -huh. And he was, you know, instead of like, 
you know, the 17 magazine that was sure, next to it. Sure. And he was like, you're good. And I was like, thank you, Bruno. Uh, <laughs> Bruno Rondinelli. Bruno. Bruno Rondinelli, who still has an extraordinary salon in Teaneck, New Jersey. Amazing. But he told me that coincidentally that night in New York City at the Terry Schreiber Studios where he studied, you could audit. They did like one Wednesday night a month. You could audit a class for free. And he invited me to go with him. And I went and I entered a room where they happened to be doing sense memory exercises. I'd never been in an acting class. Wow. I had no idea what was going on. And I remember one woman was acting out this entire scene where she came home from work, got out of her work clothes, into her like hanging out on the couch clothes, went to her refrigerator moved everything around. And from the back of the fridge was a baby bottle. And she sat down on her couch and, you know, mimes turning on television and starts drinking out of a baby bottle. Mm. Now, this is like, if you imagine someone sharing, I mean, we all have idiosyncratic behaviors, tendencies, things that are really secret. And the idea that someone would show something like that in front of a group of people, and the way she did it was extraordinary. But beyond that, the safety of that room, the way the teacher kind of coached her through the moment-to-moment work in doing that exercise, Mm -hmm. um, I'm freaking out, right? I'm like, there's a grown lady drinking (laughs) drinking out of a baby bottle. What's happening? Like, what? I'm about to go to college for like, advertising like whatever I don't know what I'm gonna do but but it beyond the like amazing vulnerability and brilliance of what this woman revealed in this exercise um and how uh vulnerable she made herself was the way in which everyone responded and talked about what she did with the most beautiful respect, non-judgment. And that was just one of like six or seven of those things that went on that night. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where I would fit into this world, but I knew that I wanted to be around people who felt so safe to be their true selves as, as, you know, wild or simple as that would be on any given day. And to be in a community of people who um, held them up with such respect and love and dignity. And that was the beginning. And then I ended up changing majors and changing colleges. And then I got a TV series very quickly after college. And, you know, I had a a lot of luck at the beginning. Um, But Bruno taking me to Terry Schreiber Studios and that teacher, her name was Gloria Maddox, and she became my first, you know, beloved teacher Mm. in this new world before I knew it would become a profession ever, just a yeah. place where I wanted to be. Yeah, well, thank you very much to Bruno for- uh... Yeah, for the haircut, great haircut, great life. So I'm going to share a secret with you that I've literally never told anyone, um, but it just popped into my head right now, which is when I joined that class, um, as weeks went by, it was my turn to bring in it wasn't called a sense memory exercise. I'm sorry. It was a private moment exercise. Uh, There's okay. all these names, right? Sure, of different sure. things. And, and obviously sense memory is part of it, but you had to bring in a private moment. Right. And I kept avoiding it. And, and so months went by actually until it was really 
time for me to do mine for this class. I ended up doing scene study and all these other things, but this was private moment. And I, I didn't feel like I had one that was good enough because mm. the first one I had seen, which I just described to you, like, what am I going to bring in that would kind of be revealing and kind of mind blowing in that way? And I, and I sort of ended up fibbing a little bit. Mm. I had once fallen off a horse, but it was a complete non-event. <laughs> I felt maybe it was a pony, like real. Just a little tuck and roll, and you're fine, right? (laughs) Exactly. Like it wasn't like, wow, how do I get back on the horse? What do I do? Like I was not an equestrian who had some major accident. But I ended up doing this thing where it was about like, you know, falling off a horse and and having like something major happen afterwards. And and what was really fascinating and what I learned at that moment about reality and fantasy is that. As the teacher kind of, it's like doing a guided meditation. So you're sort of being guided through the story with a coach. And what ended up happening is halfway through the kind of mild, minor event from my own life and the imagined event that I was creating because I wanted to impress the class and have something like major happen to me, I started believing it. And the act of doing it, the act of going through the telling of this story, by the end, it was real for me. The emotion was real. The physical feelings were real. The tears were real. The fear, all of it. And in a weird way, what I learned is that that very thing came in very handy when I was doing someone else's story and someone else's work. I would not have a parallel experience to every single character that I would play where I would be able to find a personal moment or tragedy or triumph or sense memory or any of it that would mirror the life of the character I was playing. But if I could find a kernel of something in my life that was true and then build on it with my imagination and fantasy with an openness and breathing remaining, you know, a breathing, living being during it, um, I could get to the same place, even if it wasn't my reality. And so in a weird way, by making something up, because I didn't want to, you know, seem lame, uh, and like a girl from the suburbs with kind of a really good life, um, I learned a lot about acting in a strange way. In the audition room, I talk a lot about uh, preparing. I talk a lot about what to do before you get there, what to do inside the audition room, and what to do when you leave the audition room. That's that's, uh, the meat and potatoes of audition secrets. But as someone who has gone into many an audition room, whether it be for stage or for television, what is, when you first started out, what's one of the biggest mistakes you remember making most frequently? Wow. You know, it's so funny because I, I've thought so much about auditioning because I've been doing it for 25 years or, or more at this point. And I, and I realized early on, you know, the whole um, fight or flight uh, concept that happens to our bodies, this thing where, you know, the amygdala in your brain doesn't understand, like, you're just going to an audition. You're not being chased by a bear, but your body has no idea. <laughs> 
It feels exactly the same. The messages that your brain is sending your body and sort of the the way in which your heart starts pounding and, and your palms may start sweating or whatever happens to you, even if you could not be more prepared if you tried. Um, I realized early on that for me, uh, two things were true. I loved performing, but my body didn't understand that. My body did not know that I loved performing, even in an audition situation. So I've had to come to terms with the fact that whether it's like an audition for a commercial, which is not something that would feel as important to me as, you know, a Broadway show in terms of the the long-term personal goals I have of creating art, um, my body would be reacting the same exact way. Like it, my legs would get heavy and wouldn't want to walk into the room and cross the threshold. So I guess I learned to embrace that part of my process is that my body rebels against the very idea of having to go in an audition (laughs) and that I just have to take it in with me. And I do all sorts of things like talk to myself in the third person Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, Alana, just go in do the thing. You're going to be done in like 15 minutes. Uh, if you're longer in the room, that means it's going great. Right. So good news. Um, and just really talk myself through it and go, you know what, your brain, your body doesn't understand that this is actually something you love. And so I just learned that regardless of what my body was doing, it would not affect my ability to do what I wanted to do in the room. And in fact, all of that energy, that fight or flight energy, some people call it nervous energy, whatever whatever you want to call it, was all just part of the experience. And that when I learned to not try to stop it or separate myself from it or, or ignore it, all of it just became part of me. And once I embraced it and accepted that, like, this is what happens to Alana when she goes to an audition and, and I would get jobs and not get jobs and my body was doing the same thing. So I stopped worrying about it being a thing that could get in my way. Um, I did discover, and I think maybe Slattery and I talked about it. I can't remember in my episode, there was a while where, uh, someone told me about beta blockers. Um, they were very popular and are popular for people who do public speaking, who are not artists, and just the idea of getting up in front of a large crowd. And there were a few pilot seasons in LA where I was like, you know what? I I'm tired of feeling like this. I was auditioning six times a day. Right. Like like you're just doing a million of them. Gotta be and exhausting. I, <laughs> I mean, the auditioning alone is exhausting, and then doing it with this fight or flight. Syndrome happening. Yes, oh. I can't do it with like a ro- feeling like, is there a robber, an intruder, a bear? Like, what's happening? My body freaking out. And so I have to say, like, I tried that. And in the end, sometimes I booked the gig and sometimes I didn't. Again, nothing became like this. There's no, you know, magic. No, magic. no. Um, I was so like freaked out that I was taking a drug of any kind. Well, let's talk about that because I've always heard about it. I've always yeah. heard about beta blockers. Have you ever done it? I don't it? know. Have you ever done it? It's like, <laughs> have you ever done it? Are you experienced? Have you ever done acid? Have you a beta blocker right now? Oh my God, that's great. Look, but I want to know what it feels like because I've heard like you feel the feelings of fear, but they don't 
affect your body. So when you take, when you, Ilana, take a, yes, take one, what does it feel like for you in comparison? Um, Well, for me, Alana Levine, A, it became like this kind of fun distraction. Like, oh, wait, do I feel it yet? Wait, is that it? Is that the, is that the beta blocker? <laughs> Am I being blocked? Is my, are my betas <laughs> being blocked? Am I blocked? Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it was really, it really worked. I mean, all of those things I had to figure out, like, I literally, like, if you saw it, you'd laugh. You'd be like, Alana, I don't know if that counts as actually even taking a quarter of a beta blocker because you couldn't even see it with a microscope. Like I was so (laughs) nervous about, and I, and I tried it out. I tested myself on it, not at an audition, just to kind of like, like guys for anything, like whether you're doing a podcast or taking a beta blocker, try it once with a friend, like don't. Um, so I took a very minuscule amount knowing that I am someone I'll have like two sips of wine and people are like, well, what's up with Levine? Right. Cheap date, cheap date. I'm like, just my physiology is just, it's so sensitive. Um, It was fantastic. It was fantastic. It did all the things, you know, I I think it was a drug created for people with heart conditions, like to keep your heart rate really slow, normal, not slow. So it doesn't. So when you say it did all the things, you didn't feel that fight or flight. You didn't feel the heart racing. Your palms weren't sweating, all of the nerves. So what what did you feel instead? Just a sense of like, calm, okay, I got this? Yes, but for me, that's not how, that was so weird. Yeah. Like, how am I going, like, it felt too casual. Yeah, well, you had already accepted the fact. That what I do is I'm a wreck. Right, <laughs> right. and there's energy and power in that if you own that story, right? Yeah. I'm a wreck, and I just got a Broadway show. Like, literally, like, right, so, so it was almost like, am I am I in a room right now with some television executives? Is this happening? Um, but it was, it was, what it was, was, um, what was great is I feel like I still was able to do the thing that I do. But I also learned that for me, I like feeling alive in the way that I do when my mm. body is on fire in the, in the way that, that it can be in a room. Um, and that I'm okay with that. That given the two choices, I don't want to be one bit numb. Like what I'm going through is what I'm going through. And I'm seasoned enough to now know how to work with all the things that happen to me and, and do the work at the same time. Okay. So I really want to know, and I love asking people this question, and it's, it's kind of a broad question, but, but just go with me on it. What do you think one of the secrets of your success has been? I think... I am a truly curious person. Mm. Like like when I really think about how I operate in the world, and I think that is a nice quality to have and a nice quality to be around. So when I'm in a room, whether I have the job or I'm auditioning for the job, um, I think naturally I am already collaborating with the people in the room because I'm as curious about them as they are about me. And I think we all like to feel seen whatever side of the table we're on in, in an audition room or in life. Like whether you're the one sitting at the, te- the table at the restaurant giving your order or you're the restaurant 
taking the order. Like we, we are all to me, it's like everything is about communication and partnership. And so I think part of why I've had success is I think that is authentically who I am. And I think that comes across. And so whether or not you cast me, whether or not ultimately I'm exactly the right person for this job or this part at this time, I can only, you know, you're, you're not right for every part. But I think every experience people have with me professionally, I like to think, um, they feel seen. And when you give that out, you get it back. I used to just jump into the audition, right? Like I would just do my thing and run out of the room. And I would say that everyone likes to hear something nice about, you know, often the writers in the room and no one doesn't want to hear you really liked their thing. And just to be like, this was beautiful. This play really touched me. This movie really, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's okay to just say what you think. And then they'll, you know, then you start the work, but just to find a moment to, to take ownership of the experience by starting a conversation. It doesn't just have to be you answering a question. You know, so often they'll say, do you have any questions? Um, or so often they won't, they'll just make you go. And I just feel like, take a minute, you can, it's your time, whatever happens in that room, that's your time. And if you want to just connect for a minute, before you start the thing, then then take it. And starting with a compliment, an authentic compliment, who doesn't want to hear that? I love talking about humanizing the process of yeah. a very barbaric situation, which is auditions. I mean, it is, you know, emotionally, physically, from a time perspective, I mean, it is one step below uh, you know, ancient Roman times where gladiators are just killing each other for sport. Like it, 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 it to me, I mean, obviously not literally, but like, you know, it feels like that for people on both sides of the table. And I think we often forget that these are human beings on the other side of the table. They have the want, same wants, needs, likes, dislikes that we do. And yet just walking into the room and realizing that it is not a performance as much as it is a dialogue and a conversation and walk into the room. And like, I know we keep, I keep harping on this, but like owning your own power in, in my book, Audition Secrets, I have a three-step process where it's like, no matter what is happening to you outside of the room, there is a way to bring that authentically into the room and use it as a connecting point between you and the people on the other side of the table. And so, so often we're outside of the room and we're like panic, 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 panic. And then we walk into the room and like you said, they will ask, I mean, at the very least, normally people on the other side of the table will say, how are you doing today? Or some sort of just, hey, let's get the ball rolling, right? And so often, and I've done it plenty in the past, we'll walk in after panicking and feeling that craziness outside and we'll just lie and say, oh, I'm doing so great. Yeah, everything's wonderful. This is, this is great. And like the people on the other side of the table, part of their job is to sniff out lies and liars and to see through the BS. And while I think 
a lot of them that I've spoken to, a lot of the casting directors, directors, creative teams will are just used to that happening and they just ignore the the lies that we tell when we walk into the room. It is such a breath of fresh air when you walk into the room and you can authentically own your story, whether you feel crazy, whether you feel nervous, whether your dog is crapped all over your rug or the A train was running behind as it often is, like whatever happens. There's a way that you can walk in and you can very quickly tell your story and then transition and shift to a place where you can be like, you know what, but I'm here. I'm excited. I love the show. I love this character and I can't wait to get your feedback and, and just to, to, to work with you. And it's just sets off the whole audition in a way where it is unlike what most people do, which is come in, lie, stress, 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 stress. I mean, I, I think... I think part of what you're saying is true. I also am thinking, I don't know that they want to hear your whole, I don't know that they want to hear about the dog, you know, your dog problems. But I do think, um, I do think that starting with just the same kind of like conversation you'd have where you would meet anyone if you're in an elevator, like just to be human, just bring in your humanity. I think that's it. And I mean, you're going to see like the person who, you know, I often am in the waiting room and I'm like, oh, I'm going to, she would be great. Like I spend the whole time casting everyone else in the waiting room. Right. In fact, I've even gone in and be like, you guys, do you know who's Leslie Margarita is right, right out? <laughs> She's so great. I I'm just saying, like, I, I'm so excited to be here. But if you don't cast her, I'm literally going to kill you. But that's what I'm talking about. What 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 you what you just did right there. And I use the dog crapping on the rug as the example. But like what I mean, my the three step process I give people is like briefly in as few words as possible. Tell them where you're at right in the moment. Right. And that, whether that's like, oh, man, my dog crapped on the rug and things are crazy. But then you transition it because it just shows that human side. It's like how many actors would walk into the room? like you did and say, oh my God, Leslie Margarita is out there. And if you don't cast her, I'm going to kill you. I mean, I'm going to come in and do my best here, but yeah. honestly, I, I don't even know why I'm here. But know. you know, that's so refreshing. Yeah, That's so refreshing. And so yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that because it's just, like you said, it's just, you're bringing your humanity into the room. Whereas so many people will try and bring in what they think the people want or how they sh are supposed to be acting. And it just sets you up in a way that steals your power, really. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all crazy. It it's is. All crazy. <laughs> but obviously it. It's all crazy. There. It's yeah. just crazy. But yeah. we're there in, in all of it because at the end of the day, we want to tell stories and, and be a part of of something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say for your like younger listeners or even our peers, if you ever get a chance to be a reader, you know, at the beginning of your career, you're like, wait, if I'm a reader, are they going to think of me as a reader instead of an actress? You know, we worry so much, understandably, about um, perception. Uh, but the amount I learned being a reader uh, was it was, I mean, it, it, it was better than going to acting school for, you know, it, it was my, all the BFA of it all. I had, I just done that. Um, it, it's a really extraordinary experience to do that. And you really take away like, oh my God, those people were all amazing. Like the people who didn't get the job thinking there was something wrong with them. And you just want to call them and go, oh my God, you have no idea. They were talking about you for an hour they already had an offer out. Like that's also just part of it. So 
you know, that was so eye-opening. I I loved my opportunity. My my when I was a reader, I absolutely loved it. And I did it probably, I don't know, three years ago. I was easily, I don't know, five Broadway shows in at that yeah. point. And I had done everything I'd done in my career, but I went to Marcy Phillips over at ABC. Yes. And her. I was like, hey, I mean, lovely lady, right? And I said, yeah. hey, do you mind if I just sit and read for one of your sessions. She's like, really want to do that? I was like, yeah. And I learned so much. A, because I was able to be in an audition room without any pressure whatsoever. I could look down at the script all I wanted to, right? And yet, two things that I wanted to learn. I wanted to see what worked and what didn't work in the audition room. And also I kind of wanted to be that like the best reader they'd ever had too. And people must have been like, oh my God. But yeah, it was fun. And so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I hopefully I didn't make anybody nervous or feel weird or anything, but like, I really was like, I am committed to be, cause I've had so many shitty readers. I'm going to be the best reader ever. And I'm going to see what works. And I was so fascinated because this guy came in for this TV show and and literally, he was like tall, um, uh, the the chiseled face, um, handsome guy, but not like drop dead gorgeous. But he kind of was buff. And literally, what he did was he I I said a line. He looked at me. He looked down at his script, and then he looked up and he said the line. And then I had my line. And then he did that. And it was this process over and over again. And I'm thinking what the heck is this guy doing? Because there was no flow to it. There was no, no, no. And we're so concerned about creating a flow and making sure that we keep the ball in the air like you know we're taught to do from a very young age. But there is also something to be said for allowing whatever the person that you're in the scene with says to hit you, to look down, and then to look up and deliver the line. I think you said something that really puts a bow on this entire conversation with the fact that you're just there to serve the story. Yeah. And I say to my students all the time, who serves the story best wins. You might not get the job, but it's all about serving the story. It's yeah. not about applause. It's not about money, although that helps. It's not about awards. It's all about serving the story. And I love the way that you serve our community with Little Known Facts podcast. Oh, uh, so where sweet. can everyone hear that? You're pretty much everywhere you podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the places, wherever your phone or computer take you to listen to the podcast. There's also a website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so very much for stopping by. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, Destin, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So needless to say, I loved, loved, loved talking to Justin. I was so thrilled to be a part of his Audition Secrets podcast. He has a book that he's written called Audition Secrets that you can find on his website. And next time we're going to turn the tables and Justin is going to tell me all about life before, during, and after American Idol, his Broadway career, and how he approaches the audition process. So until next time. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, 
You'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Clark and recorded in New York City.